0: to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom.
1: Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who had heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked, What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and his own, in his own home. He could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. King Herod heard about this. For Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead and that is why the miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, He is Elijah. And still others claimed, He is a prophet like the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had bound him and put him in prison. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, Whatever whatever you ask, I will give you, up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? "'The head of John the Baptist,' she answered. "'At once the girl hurried to the king with the request, "'I want you to give me right now "'the head of John the Baptist on a platter.' "'The king was greatly distressed, "'but because of his oath and his dinner guests, "'he did not want to refuse her. "'So he immediately sent down an executioner "'with orders to bring John's head. "'The man went, beheaded John in the prison, "'and brought back his head on a platter. "'He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother.' On hearing this, John's disciples came and took the body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. and broke the loaves then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people he also divided the two fish among them they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000 immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd after leaving them he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He, thought, he saw the disciples straining at the oars, because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them, but, they, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out, because they, were all, they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, "Take courage! It is I. Don't be afraid." Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely—they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as Jesus, as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or towns or countryside, they placed the sick in their marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. All who touched him were healed. This is the word of the Lord.
0: I get a special fan. Excellent. Welcome, my name is Matt, if we haven't met, uh, one of the pastors here, and it's great to walk through Mark together, don't you think? Such an incredible part of scripture, let's pray together as we consider it. Lord, bless us, we pray, with a vision of the glory of our Lord Jesus, that we might honour him and love him. It's in his name we pray, amen. I think one of the realities of a season like we're having in Australia and in our world at the moment is that we are really longing for real leadership. Leaders who will take responsibility and chart a course for disease and fire and drought and storm and economic turmoil. We want leaders who understand us, who are compassionate toward us, who don't spend time on themselves but t- spend their time on the issues. And what my Twitter feed is telling me is that a lot of us are disillusioned with it right now. Longing for leadership, particularly in crisis. Erica Anderson talks about this in a book. She wrote that our longing for leadership doesn't just arrive at certain times. It's always there. We as human beings crave and have always craved good leaders. We long for good, worthy, followable leaders in every aspect of our lives who care more about the success of the enterprise than about their own comfort. We long for leaders who will ultimately make us safe, who will lead us to places of security, who will lead us through tumult and disaster to life. And yet we are finding, and we often find, that human leadership fails at so many points and in so many different ways. And what we see reflected in Mark 6 this evening is exactly the reality of our world. Mark 6 knows all about the failure of human leaders and instead proclaims that Jesus Christ and who he is is the leader we in fact long for. The great shepherd of God's people. This whole part of Mark is driven around the idea of who Jesus is and and through this chapter we get a study in contrasts Two kings over two different banquets. And as we look at them side by side, we see what it means for Jesus to be who he is. So let's journey through that together. I want to tell you four things from this passage uh, about Jesus as shepherd. But the first one is this. And that's that there will always be leaders like Herod. There will always be leaders like Herod. Herod. Really interesting thing that happens in this chapter is there's this long account of a scene from Herod's birthday party which seems strange in a biography about Jesus. We don't hear anything about his birthday parties. Uh, but either side of it there's mention of the disciples being sent out by Jesus. That happens from verse 6 to 13 and then again in verse 30. And so you have this account of Herod's birthday uh, kind of between these mentions of the disciples. It's kind of confusing. We'll get back to maybe why it's like that. But basically what happens is the 12 are sent out. And as they're sent out, they preach and they proclaim and they drive out demons and they do incredible things. And as a result, Herod, King Herod, hears about it. In verse 14... King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. And some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. And others were saying, he's Elijah, and others, he's a prophet. And so the name of Jesus grows in power, and this would-be king, he was never actually a king, he was a tetrarch, technically, comes to hear about Jesus. And it's particularly interested in this mention of John the Baptist, because as we learn, Herod is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. Now, normally Mark would leave it at this point and just move on to the next story. But notice how he lingers. He lingers over who Herod is and exactly the way that he put John the Baptist, the last great prophet of Israel, to death. And what we learn straight away is that John was not locked up for his political activity, uh, for his raging claims about the coming of the Messiah. He was locked up for telling the truth about Herod's marriage. Herod had married his brother's wife. And his wife was not particularly happy about this, and she was murderous against John, except Herod somehow protected John from his wife because he thought he was kind of righteous and everyone liked him and he was a bit holy even though he made no sense. But then what happens is a birthday party and it's called a banquet with the high officials and military commanders and leading men of Galilee and what you're supposed to understand about that sort of statement is that this is a room full of powerful men who are all drunk, who are indulging themselves with the finest food And what happens in the middle of it is the daughter of Herod's wife walks on out and dances for them, and they're pleased in her. Now, this is not very innocent dancing, shall we say. This is more of the exotic type. And here you have King Herod on full display, lusting after the daughter of his wife. He's so pleased he makes an oath in his drunkenness to give half of his kingdom to her. And she goes and asks her mother what she should get. And her evil mother asks for the head of John the Baptist, at which point King Herod could have done anything, but out of cowardice, out of a longing for honor, because of stupid things he'd already said, orders the executioner to the prison, and head arrives in the middle of the banquet. Here is... The king over Israel. Immoral, coward, no spine, full of sordid desires. And yet, don't we see so many leaders we know about echoed in him? Leaders of industry, leaders of government, leaders of all types of things. Echoed in this one great example of Herod and his execution of God's prophet. But why tell this story? Why all this detail? Why sandwich it with the mention of disciples? Well, the reality of being on mission for Jesus about being his disciple is that mission and martyrdom go hand in hand. That there will always be kings, rulers, people like, who have power like Herod. And that will mean that disciples are to expect power to hurt them. They are to expect cost. Those who are willing to say what is true and beautiful and good may lose everything. We are not just to expect things to go well. If we are on mission for Jesus, we are to know there will always be leaders like Herod. And yet we are to go on and get out anyway. There will always be leaders like Herod. But, second thing, there is no shepherd like Jesus. There is no shepherd like Jesus. The contrast is so stark, straight away. This king who, after his own desires, his own foolishness, violently executes someone. And then what do you see Jesus doing straight away? Inviting people away to rest. He ordered, like... Arranges a weekend away for his tired disciples. And then he gets interrupted, right? By a huge mob of people, at which point I would be frustrated. But Jesus, I love this. Jesus is never frustrated with being interrupted. You can never frustrate Jesus by being interrupting him. He stands there, and this crowd is before him, and he has compassion on them, verse 34. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Here's Jesus, unhurried, full of compassion and mercy for whoever is in front of him, willingly interrupted to teach and preach again. That word compassion, it's like the feeling you get when you walk past something that you, you get a physical response to it. It's not just that you feel sad for something, but you physically, your body is reacting in pain at what you see. That's how Jesus responds to people. That's a type of compassion he has for you. And we know these people are like sheep without a shepherd because they have such an evil king over them. Sheep without a shepherd is the phrase used under the evilest king of the Old Testament, King Ahab, who tried to kill the prophet Elijah. It's a well-used phrase for people who suffer under evil leadership, who suffer from people who say good things and have good intentions, but are foolish and evil in the end. Israel had lots of leaders, lots of teachers, lots of people telling them what to do, but according to Jesus, they had no shepherd. And implicitly, we are to understand that he has come to be shepherd instead. And shepherds, right, shepherds don't just walk into a field and throw out some hay and then walk back. Ancient shepherds spent their night in the field with the sheep. They were always protecting, always tending, always healing, present, thoughtful, caring, tending. That's Jesus. He's not some modern CEO leader like Erica Anderson speaks of. He is the Lord's shepherd, the Lord's Messiah, like King David. And what does he give in his compassion? He gives his teaching. His teaching leads us, feeds us, tends us. His words are what bring us life. There's so much in this picture of Jesus. It's so stark, straight away. And there's so much we should take from it. First of all, it should disciple us, I think. When we walk out into our world, we are surrounded by people who are shepherdless, who have lots of good advice thrown at them all day long about how to live life. But they don't have a shepherd like Jesus tending them. They don't have his words to give them life maybe part of why this story is being told to us by mark because it is supposed to be our response to our world to our the people we love the same visceral compassion because we know that there is no shepherd like jesus in a world full of leaders like herod and at the same time isn't it summoning to us to to treat jesus like our shepherd like the presence who by his spirit is with us, tending us, protecting us, teaching us, do you let him shepherd you? There is no shepherd like Jesus, full of compassion. But the third thing we learn about Jesus is that our shepherd, friends, our shepherd, brings satisfying life. Remember, it's not just a contrast of kings we have, but a a contrast of banquets. And at the center of Herod's feast is kind of power, significance, glory, comfort, alcohol, all kinds of things. And ultimately a bloody head, death on a plate. What does Jesus serve up at his banquet? The crowds have been there all day. There's nowhere to get food from. He tells the disciples, well, why don't you go get food for people? And they're like, we have no money and nowhere to go. What kind of plan is that? You organize this thing. You let it happen. You sort it out. Jesus says, well, how many do you have? How many loaves? We have five and two fish, he says. And then Jesus, it's interesting, he organizes everyone. This rabble, he makes it into a coherent mess in front of him and he hands things out after giving thanks and it it incredibly gets to everyone and people don't just get a muesli bar people get more than they can eat they all ate and were satisfied and 12 baskets were left over and the number of the men was 5,000 Incredible. First of all, Jesus cares about bellies for some reason. He cares about full stomachs. He knows what it takes to fill you. He doesn't just care spiritually for you as your shepherd. He cares physically for you. And yet the scale of this miracle, it speaks to the fact that this is much more than a physical thing that he can give. The supernatural nature of this miracle speaks to his ability to spiritually satisfy to not just give us full bellies but to give us fullness to give us everything to give us life Herod served up death but Jesus serves up life you see in the Jewish imagination heaven is not a place up there somewhere Heaven is a place down here with a table so long and so big that all of God's people can feast around it at the same time together with great wine and great food, with God's shepherd Messiah at its head. And as Jesus spreads out this banquet in this remote place, he is declaring himself to be the head of the banquet. To be the one who can not just fill your belly, but the one who can lead you to life eternal, who can give you a place at the banquet table. Jesus serves up an eternal banquet. And I love that word satisfy in verse 42. He satisfies. We are so used to in our lives looking for something to Satisfy some new product, some new venture, some new person, all to tragically no avail. You see this really interestingly at the beginning of Michael Jackson, the Michael Jackson documentary, This Is It, which was filmed as this final show of Michael was being prepared. And what happened when people caught wind of this happening is every dancer around the world stopped, quit their job, bought a plane ticket to LA, and went and auditioned. And at the beginning of the film, you get one by one, all the dancers who made the cut of the thousands who came. And one by one, they look in the camera, and they speak about how good it is to dance with Michael, how amazing it is, how incredible it is. And the last one is this guy. You don't even know his name. But he stands there looking, not really looking at the camera with, rubbing his arms as he goes. And he says, you know, life's hard. And I've been looking for something to shake me up. And this is it. And the credits roll and the the film begins and it's, Stunning, stunning, because you know, you know that this poor dancer who's gone to LA and auditioned and got in and found his thing finally will never dance on stage with Michael in a show because Michael will die before it even happens. And what lingers at the beginning of this film is this sense of the frailness of searching for something to satisfy in this world. And all of us, all of us have a this, and this is it. And it changes in life and in seasons and in days and in weeks and in whatever. But what Mark 6 says is that there is no this. There is only him. It's not this is it. He is it. He is the shepherd who leads to life. Life eternal life satisfying and for every this we point to what we're really looking for is to be shepherded by him because our shepherd brings satisfying life but the final thing the fourth thing here and this is this is the tricky one at the end of the passage is our friends we are not easy to shepherd You see this in the final story, and I don't know what you think is a crazy uh, miracle, feeding thousands of people or walking on water. For me, walking on water just kind of pips the crazy of that, right? And Jesus goes and has a quiet time because he missed out that day, and he sends uh, the disciples on a boat ahead of him, and he goes and prays, and then he comes out late at night, uh, and he walks across the lake to see them, to get in the boat. And... They see him and they freak out because they're thinking it's late at night and we're at an ocean. And what happens at that time is ghosts and apparitions rise up out of the ocean. That's what they were thinking. And so they think that Jesus is one one of these things happening: this apparition, this ghost from the deep. And they're terrified. And Jesus comes to them and says, "Take courage! It's I. Don't be afraid." And he gets in the boat, and everything settles down except the disciples. They were completely amazed. And that's not good amazement. That's not, whoa, Jesus, you're incredible amazement. That was really cool. Can you teach me? No, that sort of amazement, it's this kind of terrified befuddlement and confusion. This like overwhelmed sense of not understanding what's happening. That's what the next sentence says. For they're not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. You see, what just happened is someone walked across water and it said that they were going to pass by. Do you know who does that in the Old Testament, who walks on water, who passes by people? God does that in the Old Testament only. Passing by, walking on the waters. How does someone feed thousands of people in the desert? Well, only God can do that among his people. The disciples have been hanging out with God, seeing him do his best work all day, and they missed it. It's the same as the beginning of the chapter where Jesus goes to his hometown, and they're like, but you were at the cricket club with us, and we know who you are, and we know who your mom was, and your your brothers, and your sister, and who are you to do miracles among us? The town who grew up with God missed it. You see, what we get a picture of here is the reality that we all miss it. Actually, the loving God who feeds the 5,000 and cares compassionately for these people in this moment is the same God who gives us every breath, every moment, every gift. And we're always missing it. Our hearts are hard. We don't see him. You see, the reason why Jesus comes is because we have refused to be shepherded. And he has come to gather us back. As it says in Ezekiel, forget about those human leaders. I will get down and I will shepherd you myself. You know the other place in Mark where Jesus is spoken of as a shepherd? in Mark 14 on the night when Jesus is portrayed and he quotes Zechariah which says I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered see Jesus in Jesus God comes to shepherd us and he does that by becoming the shepherd who is struck under the wrath of God that we might be gathered to the banquet of life You see, God in Jesus can only serve up life by serving up his own death. And and what this passage is supposed to do, what Mark is supposed to do is, we're supposed to get to the end of this passage and be so overwhelmed and be like, why don't you get it, disciples? Why can't you see this? Can't you see this Jesus? It's supposed to overwhelm the circuits of our heart so that we willingly come and say, shepherd me, tend me, I will listen, lead me to life, protect me. It's exactly what everyone does at the end of the passage when they realize what Jesus has done. They run to him, they try and touch him, they try and get as close to him as they possibly can. Because when you realize that God has come to shepherd you in Jesus, you look for that in everything, all the time. When you wake up tomorrow and you're at work and you're confused about your task list and there's an annoying person and you're not sure how to handle it, you don't just need good advice, you need your shepherd. When your this is summoning to you again, you need to speak to your heart that it's him, your shepherd, not this. When you're feeling distant from him, You need to remind yourself that He came near by His death and resurrection and sent His Spirit, that He might always be able to tend you through His Word. Friends, let Jesus shepherd you. Let Him tend you. He is the leader your heart longs for. And he laid down his life to have you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come this evening and recognize that we miss it. We're always missing it. And yet you came anyway to shepherd us. You drew near and you sent your spirit. Father, take away our hard hearts and instead awaken us tomorrow to your presence that we might turn away from every this and turn to him who saved us. Amen.
1: Let's stand and sing.
0: listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast For more audio content and information about our church please visit neac.com.au.